0: Tonight, we're continuing our study through 1 Timothy, uh, so turn with me to chapter 4. We'll actually be finishing up chapter 4 tonight, um, and chapter 4 has been all about being a good minister and how to equip ourselves so that we can grow into good ministers, and so if I've sounded like a broken record for the last couple of weeks, it's because Paul sounds like a broken record. He keeps talking about being a good minister, um, but it's a good thing for us to keep in mind because our passage tonight just continues that thought through the end of the chapter, because we want to be good ministers. We want to grow into good ministers. We want to be used by the Lord. We want our lives to mean something in eternity. Um, and man, that's important because being a good minister is m- much more a state of mind than it is achieving some level of performance. I mean, you think about it. Paul could have just said that if you want to be a good minister, all you have to do is do better at ministry. <laughs> that makes sense. That's that's the way a lot of things work. You want to be a good football player, well, you just play football better than you do right now, and then you're a better football player. Sure, there's specific things you can do to improve your football playing ability. You practice more, you increase your strength, you increase your endurance, all that stuff. And and yeah, you can certainly become a better minister by getting better at things that we know we should be doing. So you get better at sharing the gospel, you get better at studying the Bible, stuff like that. But that's not really what Paul's focusing on throughout this discussion of being a good minister. Instead, he's talking about controlling what you allow to influence you, refusing to allow fables to influence you, allowing yourself to be influenced by the words of faith and of good doctrine. And yeah, those right influences will lead to you being exercised unto godliness. That's what we talked about last week. But it all starts with having the right perspective and the right mindset focused on the things the Bible tells us to focus on. And so our passage tonight continues that thought with these three specific things that we should be thinking about. And that's what I've called the the message tonight, things to think about, because that's really all it is. And it's in the context of being a good minister. So let's read in 1 Timothy 4, uh, 12 through 16. It says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given Thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee and as we break down this passage, we see these three things that the good minister should constantly be thinking about in verses twelve through fourteen, because Paul highlights. Three areas in which God can use your influence to point others toward Him. Verses fifteen through sixteen tell us that we should meditate on these things and give ourselves wholly to them. And that whole "give thyself wholly to them," that's that's important. Uh, the holy—that's like that's not like holy, like God is holy. That's holy, like whole with a W, the entirety. So you want to give yourself entirely to these things. Because we have to recognize that being a good minister isn't just a once-in-a-while thing. If we really want to be a good minister, we have to constantly be thinking about our ministry. 1 Corinthians 16 talks about this guy uh, named Stephanus. 1 Corinthians 16:15 says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So if you want to be a good minister, your own personal ministry is going to be something that you should be addicted to. And really consider the implication of that word addicted and what it really implies here. Can you go a week or two without doing something for the Lord? Because if you can, are you really addicted? If you stop ministering for too long, if you stop allowing God to use your life to make a difference in the lives of others, man, you should start going through withdrawal. That's what happens when you're addicted uh, to a substance. But unlike addiction to a substance, addiction to a ministry is, good, is a good thing. So the answer to ministry withdrawal is always going to be doing more ministry. You know, the answer to substance addiction isn't do more substance. You want to separate yourself from that. But in, in the case of ministry, man, just keep doing ministry. Because without ministry, without God using our lives, what purpose do our lives really have, if you think about it? Not too much yeah, God wants a relationship with us, but if all God wanted from us was a relationship, man, as soon as you got saved, he would have just snapped you up, pulled you to heaven, you could have spent eternity with him, and it would have been great. But that's not what he did. He left us here and he gave us a job to do. He gave us the ministry of reaching the world with the gospel and making disciples. And the main struggle of living the Christian life is getting the proper perspective on that. And we have to be addicted to the ministry that God gives us. We shouldn't be able to stop thinking about it. Man, you should wake up in the morning and go to bed at night just wondering when we'll get that next hit of that sweet, sweet ministry. You've got to be addicted to it. That's the kind of attitude you can have if you just give yourself wholly to the Lord, like Romans 12 says in verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So if you don't find yourself addicted to ministry tonight, which may very well be the case for some people in here, the way to fix that is just to continue giving yourself to the Lord and let him renew and transform your mind through his word and through your ministry for him. God has to be the one who's changing you. Because when you give yourself wholly over to the Lord, well, you'll eventually find that you've given yourself wholly over to his work. And you'll end up like the guys in Acts 6 who said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Man, what a life that can be if you give yourself continually to, to God's ministry. And and the things to think about in our passage tonight are gonna help us make sure that we keep that state of mind, to help us make sure that we're considering every aspect of our lives and ourselves and how each aspect plays into our ministry so that we can be good ministers, living lives that are pleasing to the Lord and making a difference in eternity rather than just living our lives for the here and now. And the first thing we're told to think about is your life, um, and that's verse number 12. Again, he says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer's. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and purity. At least keep in mind who this letter was written to. First Timothy was written to Timothy. He was the young pastor of the church at Ephesus. And he was for sure a young dude. He was probably in his 20s. How many of you guys are in your 20s? Most of you, if not all of you. Um, Can you imagine having to lead First Baptist Church right now? Like if that was your job? Can you imagine that? Like 500 people, maybe, like go to the church here. Like that's a lot of responsibility. And that's a large weight to put on the shoulders of someone so young because people typically like to be led by someone with just a little bit more life experience. But Paul tells Timothy to not let anyone despise his youth because Paul knew that even though Timothy was young, he was also, he was also very capable. 2 Timothy 3.15 uh, Paul writes in another letter to Timothy, he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Timothy had known scripture since, since he was a kid, and those scriptures made him wise. And the other parts of the Bible suggest how Timothy came to know and understand the scripture. Second Timothy one five uh, says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So Timothy's mom and grandma, they, they had faith. They, and he grew up with that influence. So he was made wise and capable for ministry at a young age. Now, that's not to say that you have to be taught the Bible from a young age. That was just Timothy's situation. Like, it's not your fault if that isn't how you grew up. So don't think that you're disqualified for ministry if you didn't grow up in that kind of home. Uh, but it's never too late to start digging into the Word, it's never too late to start living out what you already know. And that's an important thing for us to take away from this passage. God's knowledge, his understanding, and his wisdom are sitting right there in the Bible. They're sitting in that book. All we have to do is seek them out. Regardless of what your life has looked like up to now, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you start pursuing the wisdom of God, he'll give it to you. And every bit you get makes you a more capable minister in God's eyes. But knowing stuff wasn't Timothy's only responsibility. He was told... To be thou an example of the believers. So in addition to knowing the scriptures, he had to live as an example to others. So he had to apply what he knew from Scripture to his life so others could see how to apply that stuff in their own lives. That's something Jesus did while he was on the earth. First Peter two twenty-one says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So Jesus lived as an example for us particularly when he suffered and if we let him jesus can use our lives to accomplish something similar in the lives of others First timothy 1:16 says how, how be it for this cause i obtained mercy that in me first jesus christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting so man god jesus can use our lives as patterns to demonstrate things to other people So understanding that Jesus wants to use our lives uh, as an example to other people, man, we should constantly be considering our actions, our decisions, how we're living our lives in light of that fact. How will this action be perceived by the people who see me do it? How will this decision affect my ability to reach the people around me? Could this thing that I'm about to do edify anyone else? Could this thing create a stumbling block for anyone else? These are the kinds of questions you need to ask yourself. These are the kinds of questions you will ask yourself if you have the proper perspective on being a good minister because your life is ministry. Because our ministry doesn't start and stop when we get up in front of people at church. Our ministry is an all-day, everyday thing. And at any point, we can be a good minister or a bad minister. And while you can toggle that switch whenever you want, you can't just turn off the influence that your life has in the lives of others. Like You can't just decide, man, I'm, I'm too tired to focus on eternity today. I'm too tired to care about people, so I'm just not going to influence anyone today. That's, that's not how it works. You can't just decide you're not going to influence anyone since, since you know it won't be a healthy influence. Your life has a constant influence on the people around you, and so even if you shut yourself off, man, your absence is an influence on the people you're shutting yourself off from. Your life has constant influence to the people around you, and and a good minister will make sure that that constant influence is constantly positive by keeping an eternal mindset and making sure that you're, you're running through this type of thought process and how is my life right now affecting the people around me. Good leaders do this all the time. 1 Peter 5 talks about this, verses 1 through 3. It says, "...the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ." And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. Neither be, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So a good leader, especially in ministry, but actually in all contexts, a good leader doesn't use his leadership or influence as a way to exert his will onto other people. He uses it to live as an example for others to follow, because at the end of the day, it's the good minister's job to point people to the Lord, nothing more. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven one, he says, be ye followers of me, even as I am, or even as I also am of Christ. And man, that can play out in your life in various ways, and Paul lists out some various ways here in 1 Timothy 4. So some things we should consider about our life, first of all, letter A, our conversation. Um, and in the Bible, the word conversation doesn't just refer to what we talk about with other people. That's the way we use the word conversation. Like, I say something, you say something. It's a conversation. But the word conversation refers to the way you live, everything you communicate through what you say and what you do. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says, If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth truth is in Jesus, Then put ye off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put off the new or put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So in your life, the old man, if the old man is conversing with others, well you need to put, put off that conversation so that your old man isn't the one communicating. You need to put on the new man so that he can communicate to those around you. And that's an important thing to ask yourself on a daily basis, am I allowing the old man to live through me or am I allowing the new man to live through me? Because Jesus gives you that new spiritual life, but you can choose to hide it. You can choose to not put it on display. You can choose to not live that way. Because when you're considering your conversation, you'll be thinking about what all your actions are saying to others and how others are perceiving your words and your actions. And I'm not saying that you need to walk on eggshells to protect all the snowflakes out there because they're out there. But I am saying that each of us should be considering everything we do and figuring out how we can best point Jesus or point people to Jesus through what we say and what we do. That's what Titus 2 says in verses 7 and 8. It says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. So you want to show yourself as a pattern of good works. We connected pattern with example in, in earlier verses. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned and, that he, is, and that, it, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. And so you don't want people to have evil things to say about you, and I totally understand, especially in today's world, that people throw ridiculous accusations around all the time, and whether or not someone is going to falsely accuse you of something is, is outside of your control. But you can control whether or not they have the ability to, legit, to legitimately accuse you of doing or saying something wrong. So man, don't give them that opportunity. Use everything you do and everything you say to point people to the Lord. That's the mindset that we should have about our lives. The next thing we should consider, letter B, is our charity. And we've talked about this before in 1 Timothy, um, especially early on. Everything we do should be done in love, and that's what charity is. It's, it's love in action. That should be our motivation for our ministry. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that if we don't have charity, nothing we do will amount to anything. Uh, he says of himself in verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am, I am become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. So Paul can speak as eloquently as anyone on the planet, but if he's not doing it out of charity, well, then he's just making noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So, man, he could have every spiritual gift on the planet, and he's not going to accomplish anything if he doesn't do it in charity. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So, it doesn't matter what you do or try to do with your life. If you're not motivated by, by your love for the Lord and your love for others, you're not going to accomplish much. If anything. That's why Paul says in First Timothy one five, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned. So you have to make sure that charity is the reason why you're doing what you're doing, because too often it just becomes easy for us to go through the motions and do the things that we know we're supposed to do because that's just what we do. We're Christians. We're supposed to help other people. We're supposed to do these things. And please understand that doing the things that, that we know we're supposed to do is always better than not doing them. So this isn't an excuse to just stop ministering to others when you don't feel like it. But if you really want to be an example to others in your charity, then, man, you'll make sure that you allow God to regularly change your heart so that your love for others is what's motivating you for ministry. Because ultimately, it's Jesus' love for others that that even created the opportunity for us to have the ability to minister. If Jesus didn't love people enough to give us the gospel, then we wouldn't have nothing to offer the lost world. So the next thing we should, should consider, letter C, our spirit. And we just spent an entire conference at the Certainty Conference a couple weeks ago talking about how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives, so I'm not going to spend... A whole bunch of time on this. But we have to realize that as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And if we live the way the Bible tells us to live, the people around us will notice that. Because having spiritual life makes us different than lost people, because lost people are spiritually dead. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 talks about in verses 12 through 15. How you live your life should be an example of the spiritual life that's within you. Your life shouldn't hide your spiritual life. Similarly, uh, letter D, the next thing to consider is our faith because we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's promised for our future and our faith shouldn't, er, our faith is actually our only evidence for that. It's not like you can say, here, I've took these photographs of what heaven will look like so you can believe what heaven will look like too. We don't we don't know that. Our faith is our evidence of that. Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, Does your life demonstrate your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you living your life in faith or are you living it in fear? Because people can see that. And if you're living in fear, they're not going to see your faith. They're only going to see your fear. We should do what Isaiah 26, 4 says, and trust the Lord forever. Because people will notice when we trust the Lord. Because trusting in the Lord plays out with God being the one who directs your paths in life. That's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us. And look, you can talk about your faith all you want, but if your life doesn't demonstrate that faith to others, then you're, they're not going to believe that you actually have faith because they don't see it in your life. Your faith will be unable to point to others, or will point others to Jesus if they don't see it. And the last thing we should consider about our lives, let us see, is our purity. And this one goes along with our conversation uh, from earlier, but keep in mind what happens to you on the inside when you accept Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. Man, he makes you pure, praise the Lord. He separates you from your sin. He removes sin's power over you and he makes you holy in his eyes. That said, we're all still stuck in our flesh, so we have to deal with sin until he eventually comes back and gives us pure, glorified bodies and we're done with sin forever. But understanding our purity on the inside, man, that can motivate us to purifying our lives on the outside so that others can see what Jesus has done for us on the inside. That's what 1 John 3 really drives at. in Verses 1 through 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure." So, you want people to see the purifying power of Jesus Christ? Man, show it to them by living as pure as you possibly can in this life. And that's important because your life can say a lot of things to other people uh, without your mouth having to say a word. That's not, that's not to say that you d- shouldn't say anything. Like, it's our responsibility to share the gospel. But good ministers will always be ready to share the gospel and use the word of God to point people toward him. Doing that properly Doesn't come naturally, though. Man, that's why we need to grow. And that's the second thing Paul tells us to think about in our passage tonight. And that's number two, your growth. Verse 13 again says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And that phrase, till I come, is obviously Paul talking to Timothy. So it's referring to Paul, who clearly planned to visit Timothy in the future. But Jesus also uses that phrase and, and that creates an interesting understanding of this verse for us. Um, for example, in, in his parable in Luke 19 uh, that Jesus tells the master in the parable, uses this phrase to his servants in uh, Luke nineteen thirteen. He says, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. And Jesus was illustrating here the nature of our ministry as his servants. As the master, he would leave for a while, and then return again someday. But until he returns, he expects his servants to occupy, which, like you think of it, like a military occupation, like you're you're existing somewhere else, accomplishing a mission. We're supposed to use what he'd given, uh, what he gives us, to increase his wealth. And you see the same phrase in Revelation 2, when Jesus is talking to the the church in Thyatira, in verse 25, he says, "But that which ye have." But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. So yeah, Paul is telling Timothy here to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine until he visited him visited him again, presumably because he had more things to teach him. Timothy was still a young guy. Paul was probably farther down the road spiritually and had a lot of things that he could share with him. But man, we should also understand this verse in the context of Jesus' eventual return for us, because he's given us a job to do. And as his servants, we only have so much time to get that job done. And when he returns, our time is up. So we have to use what he's given us now to increase the number of people who are a part of his spiritual kingdom, to increase the wealth of the kingdom of God. And to do that through, And we do that through ministry, through sharing the gospel and making disciples. And as you grow, you get better at that. This is pretty simple stuff uh, here tonight, but man, so many Christians forget this. Paul doesn't want us to forget it. So the first thing we should consider about our growth is letter A, reading. And reading, that's, that's how we get information. It's how we learn the truth of the Bible. We pick it up and read what it says. It's groundbreaking, I know. But Ephesians 3, 4 says, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So man, you want to have God's knowledge? He gave it to us in a book. Read it. Pick it up, open it. Nehemiah 8.8 says, so they, re- so they read the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So man, read it. Read it distinctly. Read it carefully. Give the sense. Understand the context. If you do those things, you'll understand what you're reading. And this is so much more important than most Christians today realize. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. He's given us his mind in that book. We have direct access to the words of God anytime we want, yet too often we can't be bothered to pick it up in the morning. We can't be bothered to pick it up at night. Well, we have to keep reading if we want to grow. We should be reading that thing cover to cover at least once a year. You should be looking at every single word in that book in order. Don't don't mix up the order. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. That, That made no sense. You can read... Just read the Bible. Just read it. <laughs> read it left or right if you want. Open it in the middle. Just read the words. It'll be great. We should be constantly allowing God's words into our lives to change us and that's the next thing we should consider about our growth. That's letter B, our exhortation. And exhortation in general is encouragement or motivation. If you look that word up through, through Scripture, that's kind of what you'll find is that it's pointing at encouragement or motivation and in this context... It's a motivation to apply what you're learning so that your life changes as a result of what you read because just reading the Bible is not enough. Just knowing what God says isn't enough for you to have a successful ministry. You have to apply it to your life if you want, if you want it to have the intended effect. And, if your mini- and your ministry should involve the encouraging and motivating of others to apply God's words in their life as well. Titus nine says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be... A- able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So yeah, we need to hold fast the faithful word, but man, using the faithful word correctly in our ministry involves exhorting others. Hebrews 10 tells us um, that this is what we should be doing when we come together. Hebrews 10.25 says, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, so the much more as you see the day approaching." So man, we need to consider exhortation, applying the word of God in our life and helping others apply it in their life, motivating the people around us to read God's word and, and let it change them. And the third thing we're to consider is, is letter see doctrine. And the word doctrine just means teaching. Uh, we see that in Matthew 7, 28 through 29. Uh, after Jesus preaches this whole sermon, Uh, he teaches these people for three chapters of Matthew. It says, And it comes to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. So the word doctrine, it just means teaching. In fact, other translations of the Bible will will replace the word doctrine here and, and many other places with the word teaching. But the word doctrine is actually incredibly important, and it's important that it's used here because doctrine is a specific teaching. It's not just any teaching. In verse 16 of, of our passage, it's referred to as the doctrine. So the word doctrine here doesn't just mean any old teaching. It's not teaching of math or science or reading, writing, arithmetic, any of that. It's referring to sound doctrine taught by the Bible. You have other references on your sheet that talk about doctrine or sound doctrine, but we've we've covered that in, in previous weeks when we compared sound doctrine to the doctrines of devils. In the interest of time, let me just put it this way. Doctrine here isn't just knowing the information. It's not just knowing what a passage says. You get that with the reading. Doctrine is understanding the importance of a passage. What is the Bible teaching me here? What context does it fit, and how is it properly applied in a person's life? Well, when you understand the doctrine of a passage, then you're, then you're able to to teach that passage to someone else and that takes work to figure out. That's why 2 Timothy 2:15 tells us to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. And when you can rightly divide the word of truth, I mean that's when you'll start to not just read but 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 also understand the doctrine of the Bible as you as you read it. And that, and that's the kind of work we need to put in if we want to really grow into the type of ministers that God can really use. So we need to think about our life. We need to think about our personal growth through, through reading, exhortation, and, and doctrine. But you also need to think about your, your ministry, and that's number three. Uh, and that's what I believe verse 14 is getting at. Hopefully this makes sense, because this one's a little less clear. The verse says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And now I know the word ministry doesn't show up in this verse. Paul's talking about a gift, telling Timothy not to neglect that gift. But I believe that this gift he's referring to is Timothy's ministry of leading the church at Ephesus. It might be tempting to think that this gift is referring to one of the spiritual gifts that are mentioned throughout Scripture in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. But Paul specifically says that this Gift was given to Timothy by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And that's not how or when God gives us spiritual gifts. If you study spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are given to a Christian at salvation with no need for any outside influence. The Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, and so the Holy Spirit manifests itself through these gifts. The Christian might not know what they are for many years, but those spiritual gifts come with spiritual life. And I wish we had more time to dig into that. We don't, but we have an entire MTT class called Spiritual Gifts that covers all of that. So finish discipleship, take ministry tools and training. Uh, you'll get to that class and like spends like 12 weeks on it or something. If you're wanting a crash course on the spiritual gifts, you can go on our church website and listen to Jeff's morning sessions from the Certainty Conference a few weeks ago. He did a phenomenal job covering those specific gifts. But whatever this gift is here in verse 14, it was given to Timothy by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, and presbytery is just, it's just, it just refers to a group or council of elders or leaders. So like, we don't use this word that often today, but if, you know, a bunch of pastors met in, in a room, you could call it the presbytery if you wanted to, um, it's not like an official title, it's not capitalized, so it's just a word that it refers to a group or council of elders or leaders. And if you compare scripture with scripture, whenever you see people laying hands on other people in the Bible, there's always a transfer of authority or a transfer of blessing that takes place. And in 2 Timothy, we see that Paul uh, did this to Timothy. Again, talking about the gift. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God Which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So, specifically, Paul's hands that had a part in this. And then verse 14 says, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. So, Timothy's pastoral authority over the church of Ephesus was given to him by Paul, the guy who started the church. And that's how any of us are given any authority in ministry, by the way. You can't just start doing something on your own and calling it your ministry. Because ministry has to come through the local church. Biblically, God's given the authority to the local church to reach the world, to minister to others. So you can really only have ministry when you receive it from your local church. Uh, Colossians 4.17 says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. So Archippus received a ministry and it was his job to fulfill it. And the ministry that Timothy received was the office of a pastor at the church of Ephesus. And Paul, the guy who started the church, would have laid hands on him to signify to everyone in the church that he was giving that office to Timothy. He was transferring that authority in a visible way so everybody could see it. That's what the laying on of hands in the Bible is. It's not some weird thing where we all lay hands on someone and share the Holy Spirit with them. Uh, that's, that's not how it works. It's just a symbolic gesture of transferring uh, authority, or blessing. Paul had his leaders lay hands on him when he was sent out to start churches, by the way. So uh, Acts one, Acts thirteen one through 3 says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. And laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So Paul's old name was Saul. He was still called Saul back then. And so Paul didn't just start the church at Ephesus because he wanted to start a church there. He was sent out by another church to start more churches. And they laid their hands on him before they sent him to do that. And that's how God directs ministry. The Holy Spirit is the one who's guiding and directing everyone. As long as you're following uh, the Lord, you're going to get there. So he's never going to direct you in one direction and direct your church leaders in another direction. If you find yourself in a situation like that, someone's wrong about the direction that he's leading them in. So when the Holy Spirit starts calling Paul to plant churches, he's not just talking to Paul. He's also talking to the leaders of the church at Antioch. And when everyone is in agreement on what the Holy Spirit's doing, well, the leaders laid hands on him and sent him away, signifying the transfer of authority to start those new churches. Well, I believe that the gift that first or that Timothy has in 1 Timothy four fourteen is just what Paul gave him when he laid hands on him—the authority of the pastoral office at the church of Ephesus. Because ministry is a gift, the fact that we get to make a difference in eternity, man, it is a gift from God. And, and Paul transferred that to Timothy. And as far as the mention of prophecy, we're not really given too much to go on there uh, on, on what he's talking about. My best guess is that at some point before Timothy was given uh, this gift of ministry, before he was given this role, uh, someone prophesied something about it. And so at this early point in church history, before the New Testament was completed, this prophecy could have been how the Holy Spirit communicated God's desire for Timothy to pastor the church at Ephesus. We're not given much to go on. The only other place that mentions this is First Timothy one eighteen, It says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So that may be a reference uh, to what Paul is talking about here. But my point here is that Timothy was told not to neglect the gift he had, which I think is pointing at the fact that he wasn't supposed to neglect the ministry he was given. And that's so incredibly important because we're all ministers. We're not all given the same job to do. Uh, man, just because we're all called to serve the Lord doesn't mean that we're all called to do exactly the same thing. It was always illustrated to me like, like the church is a baseball team. It doesn't mean we all go play first base. No, we all have our own first jobs to do. And if everybody was playing first base, it'd get crowded. And everybody would get COVID because they're all together. Um, <laughs> so everybody's got their own jobs to do. Everybody's got their, their own roles to play. You just have to figure out what it is the Lord has you in our ch- in, in your church to do. And whatever your job is, you've been given by your local church leaders. Man, just make sure you're doing that. Don't neglect that. Because that's what God has you doing right now. It's what he's prepared Uh, for you to primarily use in shaping your life. It's what he's primarily gonna use you to make a difference in right now. Sure, doing other stuff is okay. Wanting uh, to go further in ministry is okay. But man, not if the ministry you've been given suffers because of it. You wanna make sure you're doing what you've been asked to do right now. You've gotta primarily be focused on the ministry you've been given if you wanna be a good minister. It's not enough to just think about the ministry that your friends are doing, that your church is doing. Man, your life, your growth, and your ministry are all important things that you need to be constantly thinking about if you want to be a good, effective minister for the Lord. And that's why we have to meditate on these things and give ourselves wholly to them like we talked about at the beginning. That's why we want to be addicted to the ministry. These, are to be, these have to be things that that are always running through our minds if we want to regularly and consistently be those good ministers for Christ. But man, when you keep these things in mind, you'll have fruit in your life. God will use you to get some stuff done and you'll see people get saved and you'll see disciples made from your life. And even though we don't do it to be noticed by others, man, people will notice the fruit in your life. That's what verse 15 says when he says that thy profiting may appear before all. Man, when you have fruit in your life, other people see it. Well, Matthew 7, 20 says, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. So man, people will notice your fruit. And the more they notice your fruit, the more they'll trust your influence. And the more they trust your influence, the more influence you'll have. And the more influence you have, man, the more God can leverage and use for his glory. It's not about manipulating people. It's about pointing them to the Lord, getting them to see his truth and apply it to their life Uh, more and more. And God can use your fruit to continue pointing people back to him. Your fruit has to be real though. It can't be be for the wrong reasons. It can't be uh, the wrong kind of fruit. And your fruit's only going to be real if you're doing ministry the way the Bible tells you to. With the reasons and motivations of charity that the Bible tells us we're to have. So we need to make sure we're doing things right. It's really that simple. That's what Paul's getting at here with Timothy. Look dude, I gave you this this ministry leading this church, make sure you're doing it right. Well, whatever ministry we have, we're supposed to be doing it right. And we do that by thinking about our life and the influence we have over others. And we do that by thinking about our growth and increasing our capability to guide and direct people to the Lord. And we do that by thinking about the ministry we've been given and by being committed to doing it to the best of our ability until God moves us to, to a different ministry. Verse 16 end the, ends the chapter with, Take heed unto thyself, And unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So, continuing in the things we've talked about tonight as you serve the Lord, man, that'll save your ministry. It's not going to save your soul. Your soul's already been saved if you've given your life to the Lord. But, man, doing things the right way and for the right reasons will allow you to push forward and see very real, eternal fruit from God using your life. And it'll save people. People who hear the gospel and respond to it can be saved. And you can help build the ministry of others as you invest in them so that they can experience the type of fruit we're talking about as well. And man, that's a life that God can use. That's a life that will be rewarded at the end. That's a life that will make a difference in eternity. So man, what do you need to think more about? you need to think more about your life, the way you're living, the decisions you're making, how your life and your walk is influencing the people around you? Do you need to think more about your growth? What do you need to do to increase your, your capability of, leading and teaching people? You need to think more about that? <laughs> or do you need to think more about your ministry? What it is God has you doing right now? Do you need to make sure you're doing that to the best of your ability? Man, consider those things tonight. That's, these are some things to think about, but it only helps us if we actually think about them, not just listen to some dude talk about them uh, for for 30 minutes and then, and then leaving and not thinking about them again. Man, dwell on those things. Meditate on them. Uh, Give yourselves wholly to them. Think about them. Ask the Lord to show you what it is he wants from you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, man, just for the simplicity of your word and the simplicity of your expectations. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for choosing to use us to reach the world with the gospel and through making disciples. And God, we just ask that you would, man, help us do that better. We know that we're incapable of anything on our own um, and it's only because of what you've done for us that we have any hope of accomplishing anything worthwhile in this life. And so Lord, we just, we give ourselves wholly to you and we just pray that you you use us for what we are and uh, um, continue to change us and conform us to the image of your son so that we can be used by you and have fruit uh, for, for you and your kingdom, Lord. We love you and amen. We just thank you so much for offering rewards for us. You didn't have to do that, but... Um, But we thank you for it, and we just pray that you'd continue to guide and direct us as we go about our lives and use us every step of the way to point people towards you. In your name we pray. Amen.